Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Acts 6 verse 8 through to chapter 8 verse 1. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's read Acts 6, 8 through to chapter 7, verse 60. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession, and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nations that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him, and rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favour and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, 
until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarrelling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbour thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, and the star of your god, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favour in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. 
What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And now it's over to the children's talk. We have just started a new series through the book of Acts. Years and years ago, we started in Acts, and we're coming back to it. But a couple of years ago, me, Beck, our kids, we were watching some kids' talks each week that were going through the book of Acts, and they had a sentence, a theme, which explained all of what Acts is about. And I wonder if we can do it. I wonder if my kids can remember it. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Okay, They would say that week after week, and we knew it really well. The mission, do a salute, the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Excellent. Now, before we get to our story, I thought I would introduce you to Rupert. Here is Rupert, and he's got a little sister, and her name is Stephanie. And Stephanie, one day, she ran to her mum saying, Mum, Rupert is saying really mean things. He's being really mean to me. Mum, help. What do you think mum did? Can you, bet what, can you guess what mum did? Oh, punish Rupert, maybe. Punish both of them, mm, maybe. I think the first thing that mum did was go to Rupert and say, Rupert... What happened? What happened, Rupert? And do you know what Rupert did? He lied. That's exactly right. Why do you think he lied? Why would you lie in that situation? He didn't want to get in trouble. That's exactly right. That's often why we lie. We lie because we want either something good to happen to us or we don't want something bad to happen to us. That's why we lie. And Rupert lied and he said, Mum, I didn't say anything mean. She is making it up. She's the one who's doing the wrong thing. Now, do you think he got away with it? Mm, I'll leave that to your imaginations as to what the mum might have done, what the mum might have guessed. 
But Rupert was very different to Stephen in our story. Now, it was a long story, a long reading that we just had, and you might not have been able to follow it all, but Stephen, like Rupert, was being accused of things. People were making accusations against him. Just like Rupert's sister, Stephanie, was accusing Rupert of saying mean things, there were people out there accusing Stephen of saying bad things. Bad things against Moses, bad things against the temple, and the people didn't like that. Now, what do you think Stephen did? Did he lie like Rupert and try and get out of being in trouble? Or did he tell the truth? He told the truth, that's right. Now, Stephen, unlike Rupert, he actually didn't say anything wrong. But Stephen had a message for the people who were accusing him. Stephen said, you are the ones who have done the wrong thing, not me. Do you think him saying that truth was going to get him in trouble? Or was it going to make the people happy with him? What do you think? Going to get him in trouble? Raise your hand. People going to be happy with him? No. Mm, That's right. The people got really angry with him because Stephen was telling them the truth and they didn't want to hear the truth. Rupert tried to escape from being punished for the bad thing that he did. Stephen was willing for them to punish him wrongly by telling them about Jesus and what they had done wrong. But listen, the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. These people, they rushed Stephen Stephen, and they punished him and they did bad things to him. They put him to death. Do you think that could stop Jesus' mission? No. Even when people do bad things to us, that can't stop Jesus' mission. And we should remember that. When people want to do bad things to us because we love Jesus, we need to remember that the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Jesus will always win. His message, the message about Jesus and about trusting in him to be saved, that will go out to people. And people will believe no matter what people do to try and stop it. So we can remember that and find big comfort in that. And we can be brave like Stephen. And we can remember, once again, the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Not even when people are cruel to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Stephen told the truth, that Stephen told the people all about Jesus and who he was, that he showed them that they had done the wrong thing, not him. And so we pray that you would help us, help us to tell others about Jesus, help us to show people their need for Jesus, give us boldness, even when we're little, to tell people all about who he is and what he has done. Amen. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, your word 
is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey from the comb. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that your spirit now would be giving us eyes to see what is true and good, that you would be showing us what is right, that you would be giving us great love for Jesus and boldness for him as we read his word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 16th of August, 1859, seven years after the discovery of gold in Eagle Hawk, a public meeting was advertised in the Bendigo Advertiser, itself only six years old. And this meeting, it was held in the Camp Hotel's assembly room, just across the road there. Those at the meeting decided to construct a Presbyterian church so that Presbyterians in Eagle Hawk wouldn't have to travel into Bendigo like they had been forced to do until then. At that meeting, £200 was collected and more would be collected. A block of land was purchased right here for £15 and a church building was constructed for £506. Church services were held in the assembly room of the Camp Hotel starting uh, 29th of August, 1859, until the 1st of April, 1860, where there were three services to celebrate the formal opening of the church building. That is only one small part of the story of Christianity in Eagle Hawk and the wider Bendigo region. Have you ever stopped to think how absolutely incredible it is that we are here worshipping Jesus in Eagle Hawk, Australia in 2023? How is it possible that Jesus' church grew from a small band of followers in Jerusalem to spread all throughout the world, even here? That's where the story of Acts comes in. Acts shows us how Jesus has built his church from a small seed in Jerusalem to a tree where the birds nest in its branches. In 2019, we explored Acts chapters 1 through to chapter 6, verse 7, and we're finally returning to it. And my prayer is that we will be filled with boldness as we see what Jesus did through his church all those years ago, that we will see that the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. It couldn't be stopped then, and it can't be stopped now, here, in Eagle Hawk, Bendigo, 2023. But before we look at this incredible speech, let's remind ourselves where we're up to in Acts. Acts was written by Luke, and it's the sequel to his gospel. It's part two. In Luke's gospel, the aim was that Theophilus would have certainty about the things that he had been taught. And now in Acts, he's showing what Jesus continued to do and to teach through his apostles, by his spirit. Again, he's wanting to give certainty to Theophilus. Jesus ascended into heaven, telling his disciples to go into the world with the gospel when the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came and the church in Jerusalem grew. And as it grew, they were persecuted, told not to preach Jesus anymore, but they prayed for boldness and they were filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And all through this, the church was united. When there were threats to their unity, God dealt with it. When Ananias and Sapphira died, uh, lied, God put them to death. When there was conflict that the Greek-speaking Jewish widows weren't getting their fair share of the food distribution, that was uh, dealt with by setting aside seven men, seven Greek-speaking Jews to be deacons, caring for the poor so that the apostles could focus on the ministry of prayer and preaching. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped, not by internal conflict, not by external persecution. Jesus will build his church. He will save the lost and all the forces of Satan, of hell, of the world, nothing will be able to stop him. And so from this passage, we're encouraged to share Jesus, no matter the cost. Let's look in our first section, chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. False charges. Now, if we had been reading Acts straight through, rather than diving midway through the story, we would know Stephen. He was the first of those seven men elected to what we would call being a deacon. He fit the job description perfectly. I'm sure, like me, you have seen many uh, job advertisements. And sometimes they're very full. There's lots of detail. You need these qualifications, this many years' experience, this is the person that you'll report to, these are all the responsibilities you'll have. But other times on these job ads, it's the very bare minimum. The job description and uh, whether it's full-time or part-time. Maybe they'll include the pay. The apostles put out the job description for a deacon. And Stephen was one of the seven who fit the bill. Now, as an aside, we should remember this whenever we're electing elders or deacons. We find a fuller list of the requirements for these roles in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. And as we look for people to fill these roles, we need to have those qualifications in mind. We want people to show that they're qualified, that they're already qualified. They should be doing the role of an elder or a deacon, even without having the title. Caring for people, showing hospitality, teaching if that we're wanting them to be an elder. We shouldn't expect them to start doing these things once they're elected, once they have the role. They should already be doing it, showing that they can do the role. But as we look at Stephen, he is going above and beyond. He was meant to help with the food distribution, but now, verse 8, he's doing wonders and signs, like the apostles. He was debating, showing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, the saviour that they've been waiting for. They tried to argue against him, but verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so what did they do? They couldn't withstand him, so what did they do? They had him arrested on false charges. 
Verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Then these Greek Jews brought him to the rulers of the people who, and they claimed there in verse 13, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. These are the charges. That he's spoken against the law and the temple. The two most precious things to a first century Jew. I wonder what the equivalent would be for our society. What would the false charges be against us? to turn people against us. For a long time, Christians have been seen as hateful because we believe that Jesus is the unique and only way to God. We say that Buddha didn't find enlightenment. Muhammad did not have a vision of Gabriel or hear from Allah. Joseph Smith didn't translate those plates of gold. The watchtower from the Jehovah's Witnesses have produced a mistranslation of the Bible. Hindus are uh, are giving offerings to false gods. Those who are spiritual but not religious might feel insightful, might feel free, but they are bound to their sin. The world, they, they lie and say that that's hateful to say instead of that it's the truth, that it's a loving warning and an invitation. See, the world has changed. Many of you knew a time where Christianity wasn't just accepted or tolerated, it was the norm. But that experience of Christianity being welcomed into the public square, that experience was the oddity. It might feel strange now, but we're actually returning to the normal state of affairs. This is the normal attitude of the world to Jesus. Jesus is opposed. His people are classed as hateful and dangerous. And Stephen knew this reality very well. But Stephen was sharing Jesus, no matter the cost to himself. Are you ready to do that? And so we come to the second section of our passage, chapter 7, verses 1 to 53. A fiery speech. Now there are various options around Australia where you can go on a helicopter tour. You could look at the beaches of Sydney or or the Sunshine Coast. You could have a tour of the Great Ocean Road and and the Twelve Apostles. You won't be able to see all the details, but all those big, exciting, important things, they're going to be pointed out to you. We'll be taking a helicopter tour of this fiery speech. Not dealing with every detail, you'll be glad to hear, not dealing with every detail along the way, but the big ones. And remember, this speech is responding to those two false charges. That he was speaking against Moses and against the temple. And very deliberately, 
Stephen is giving a helicopter tour of Israel's history. And we're going to see the two points made to counter those false charges. First, God keeps appearing to his people, not just outside of the temple, but outside of the land. Second, God's people continually reject the saviour he sends them. So our first landmark is Abraham in verses 1 to 8. He lived far away in Mesopotamia. And to this stranger, way outside the land, God, in verse 5, promised to give it, promised to give the land to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. It's not going to be easy sailing for them, for his descendants. See verse 6, his offspring will be enslaved for 400 years, but they, they will come out and give worship to God. And so God gave him the sign of circumcision, showing that they belonged to God, his stamp of ownership on them. The next landmark is Joseph in verses 9 to 16. And right off the bat, he is rejected. Verse 9, but God was with him. Again, God wasn't bound to one place. God was with Joseph, not in the land, but in Egypt. And through Joseph, the rejected one, God saved his people from that famine. And the major landmark, Stephen points out in our helicopter tour, is Moses. In verses 17 through to 43. Moses was rescued as a baby, grew up in Pharaoh's house, and himself rescued an Israelite from an Egyptian. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. He was rejected. He was rejected and so he fled. Forty years later, God appeared to him at the bush. Verses 30 to 34. Again, not in the land. He was near Sinai and there was the burning bush. Verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. With wonders and signs, just like Stephen was doing, with wonders and signs, Moses led them out, but they rejected him. They rejected God and worshipped idols. Stephen moves on, thinking about the tabernacle and the temple in verses 40 to 50, uh, 44 to 50. Through all their travelling, God was with them. But even back then, even back then, they knew that God didn't really live in a tent. He didn't really live in a temple. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Sometimes when I'm reading or I'm writing or doing something, I, I, I like to listen to a particular instrumental album. Just music playing in the background, no words, that'll distract me, just music playing in the background. But I've noticed with this album that these aren't just unrelated pieces of music as we go from track to track to track. Some of these songs, as you go through the album, harken back to what's already been played, developing it, growing it. 
And in, in a similar way, Beck and I recently watched a musical on TV and, and there's a few songs there which, which pepper their way through later songs. The same sort of musical melody, the, the, the same sort of lyric comes through. It's sort of developing as, as the plot develops. That's what Stephen's done. And he comes to his crescendo in verses 51 to 53, where we finally get to the point of what Stephen wants to make, to the point that Stephen wants to make. They've put him on trial, but they've actually demonstrated their own guilt. They're circumcised, but their hearts, their hearts aren't, verse 51. They resist the Holy Spirit. They've rejected the one that Moses, the one that they supposedly love, they've rejected the one that Moses promised. They killed the righteous one. They killed God himself, God in the flesh. They've killed him. And they dare to accuse Stephen. Those same telltale notes and lyrics have shown up Again, they are just like their fathers. Remember, Acts is all about Jesus' mission. It can't be stopped, even as the leaders of the Jews come against his people. And so what's Stephen doing? In this speech, he's trying to, trying to inspire conviction of their sin. He wants them to feel bad about what they've done so that they would repent. That's what Peter did back at Pentecost. He told them that Jesus, the one that they had put to death, that he was the risen Lord. And that crowd that he was speaking to, they were cut to the heart and they asked what to do. And he said, repent. That's what Stephen's hoping for. While he's on trial, he shares Jesus no matter the cost. Which brings us to our third heading, verses 54 to 60, a victorious death. Instead of repenting like the crowd at Pentecost, they gnashed their teeth at him. They wouldn't even entertain the idea of their sin. They wouldn't consider that Jesus was the prophet that Moses had predicted. But Stephen looks up and the Holy Spirit pulls away the veil between earth and heaven. And now Stephen can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The one who was condemned is now seated at the right hand of God in the position of authority. He stands as their judge. And he also stands to welcome Stephen. The Jewish leaders were concerned about the temple because they thought that that's where God was. But Stephen was seeing where God really was. He was seeing God's glory. He was seeing Jesus. Why did Stephen get this vision? This vision into heaven? I wonder if it's because he was scared. He's just called out the Jewish leaders for killing the one who was greater than Moses. What are they going to do to him? And so he sees Jesus in his glory. When we're scared, we want loved ones with us. A child climbs into bed with her parents when she's scared because of her nightmare. A man spends time with friends when his wife threatens to leave him. Jesus shows himself to Stephen. The crowd, they're enraged and they rush him. And Stephen, 
The first Christian martyr imitates Jesus, his master, in his death. Like Jesus prayed to the Father, Stephen prays to Jesus that he would receive his spirit and forgive them. Stephen shared Jesus no matter the cost. And with his murder, the focus in Acts shifts from Jerusalem and the temple and the gospel now begins to move to the ends of the earth, even to Eagle Hawk. To Eagle Hawk and the establishment of a church in 1859. It's been said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Stephen's death was indeed the seed of the church, as we will see particularly next week. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped, not by Stephen's murder, not by anything else. See, there's no fence to sit on when it comes to Jesus. You either love him or you hate him. You're forgiven or you're condemned. You preach him or you reject him. There's no middle ground. If you don't know Jesus, don't stop your ears like they did. Turn to Jesus and leave. Find forgiveness. It is not too late. If we could tear open the veil and look into heaven, you would see Jesus ready to welcome you if only you would repent. What's stopping you? What is so impossible to believe about this? Stephen died for this. The apostles died for this message. They didn't make it up. Why don't you turn to Jesus? And for those of us who have turned to Jesus, just imagine what our church would look like if we loved Jesus like Stephen did. Just take a moment and think about that person that you really wants to talk to about Jesus. Just take a moment. Think about that person. Have a person in mind. What is their name? What's stopping you from speaking to them about Jesus? What would happen if you had that conversation? For some of you, you are convinced that the relationship would be over because they've threatened it. That requires wisdom Balancing, keeping the relationship so that hopefully when their hearts change, if their hearts change, that you'll be there. But here's the thing. You're in that position, I have no doubt, because at one time or other, you did try to talk to them about Jesus. And so well done. You, you shared Jesus with them, or you at least tried. But most of us are just scared about what we think they'll think about us. But what if we loved Jesus like Stephen did? He lived with Jesus as the great audience of his life, the one whose opinion mattered, not the Jewish leaders. He didn't live for their approval. He lived for Jesus' approval. What would our church look like if each of us spoke about Jesus to just one person each week? What if we asked our adult child who doesn't go to church, would you like to come to church with me? What if we went up to someone who's manning the register when they're not busy and, and we ask them whether they understand what it is that Christians believe? 
What if we picked up a, a tract over there or, or one of those little Gospels and we handed it to someone and said, I think you would really benefit if you read that. What if we did that? Just one person a week, each of us. What would our church look like if we did that? I guarantee it, if we were all having one Jesus conversation a week, this church would be buzzing with excitement. We would be talking about our conversations. People would be trusting in Jesus. Not all of them, but there would be a trickle of people coming through. And who knows, maybe a floodgate as the Spirit opens up the doors to revival. You don't have to be clever to do this. You just need to know that sinners need Jesus. That Jesus paid the price for sin by his death. He rose again as king. And if we don't turn to him, we're going to be punished. So here's my challenge to you this week. Ask someone who they think Jesus was. And take it from there. It might lead nowhere. That's possible. It might lead nowhere. But it might lead, right then and there, or eventually, it might lead to them becoming a Christian. Share Jesus this week, no matter the cost. Stephen prayed that Jesus would receive his spirit. Like Stephen, we don't need to fear rejection. We don't need to fear death. We don't even need to fear a weird look from a stranger. Share Jesus, no matter the cost. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we pray that you would give us the boldness of Stephen. Lord, may we truly share Jesus as Stephen did. Lord, he presented the people's sin to them. He showed them that they had killed Jesus, the righteous one. No doubt he was longing for them to repent of that. Our Lord, give us that boldness. May we long for people to be saved. May we pray for their salvation. And Lord, may we see it happen week after week as each of us strives to have a gospel conversation. Our God, for anyone here who does not truly know you or understand you, whether they be adult or child, Lord, may they come to faith in you right now giving themselves over to you. Lord, may people find salvation through the testimony of the people of this church, that Jesus' name would be built up, that his mission of seeing people saved would be fulfilled through us. We pray this, our God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.